Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw, and today I'm speaking with Andrea Belk Olson. Now, Andrea self-describes as a behavioral scientist, which is where she's tra- what she's trained in, a customer expert, and a change enabler. She is a prolific writer. She is the author of three books, the most recent being What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But They Don't Tell You. She has an organization called Pragmatic, where it is a consultancy organization, although don't call Andrea a consultant. She thinks that is a baloney term. Um, And we met actually, Andrea, when as you and the 12 things I looked through, I think you have 12 different things that you are currently doing. Um, One of those being you run the TEDx program in Davenport, Iowa, where we met. And Andrea, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Oh God, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to a great conversation here. Yeah, this will be great. So, um, I always start inspiring women this way, but it is true. You have 12 different things that you are currently presently doing in terms of all of your positions. So busy, I think is the understatement of the year, but Andrea, like what is day-to-day, like what does today look like for you? Oh gosh. You know, today is, is a wide variety of things because I'm coming off a weekend where one of the 12, uh, I was teaching at the university of Iowa uh, at their entrepreneurial school, we had a basically consolidated, intense weekend where students get together over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, 12 plus hours a day building a business from scratch. So then they pitch at the end, which they pitched yesterday and, and win money in a competition. So it was really great, a bit exhausting. And so today is a whole bunch of catch up and, and kind of making sure you've got all your ducks in a row for the week. Sure. So you work with a tremendous number of entrepreneurs. You work with other researchers and businesses and a whole variety of different people, including the TEDx program. So maybe just just walk us through, Andrea, because I mean, I think your background is in marketing and behavioral science. So like a little bit of the career trajectory for you. Oh, gosh, the career trajectory is is maybe a a non-traditional one. Uh, So I I did go to college. I graduated from the University (laughs) of Iowa. Um, And, you know, to be honest, I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I I thought I wanted to work for an ad agency because I love the creativity. I kind of loved the whole packaging and messaging. And sometimes when, you know, advertising or marketing just really hits home, you go, wow, that it's just so inspiring. Right. So I wanted to do that. And I actually had reached out in college to uh, a few different agencies and one that was uh, a female led uh, LGBTQ firm. And the first thing that the owner said, and I'll never forget, she said, go and learn how everything's produced. 
go to a print shop, go somewhere and understand the production side of agency work before you get into the agency and creative side of work, mm-hmm. which was really the foundation for me to help my design skills, copywriting skills, just development skills and learning Photoshop and, and Illustrator and all those different Adobe programs and understanding the production process. And at that time, a friend of mine said, hey, we he just got out of college too. And he said, I wanna start this tech company. And he said, you have graphic design skills. You have layout skills, you have copy skills. Why don't you join me? Are you up for this? And I said, sure. So what we did for the next 10 years is is built our little, you know, three-person shop into a about $30 million company that exists today and is thriving. So that was quite a educational journey that I would say never could have gotten in any other environment anywhere else. Um, then I moved on to kind of a new challenge. Um, the startup life is exhausting and tiring. Uh, and you know, building tech platforms really wasn't my thing, mm-hmm. uh, but building a company was. So I moved on to two different uh, global companies, uh, multi-million dollar companies that were looking for someone with marketing, but also digital strategy experience, which I had learned building the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were kind of moving into that space. They were actually manufacturers, which is a whole different sector. Um, and And honestly, male-dominated, incredibly male-dominated. So going from this kind of Wild West cowboy environment to this very command and control traditional traditional setting and uh, had to navigate that, but navigated all these different cultures and countries, which then exposed me to all these new things. And then kind of put everything together and found out that, you know, it's not so much that I don't want to make change and I don't want to have something that's a significant challenge, but I do want to really focus on what makes change in an organization and how you can compete and differentiate. And a big part of that is people and communication. So hence the consulting firm came about, started as a part-time thing while I was working full-time somewhere else, and then kind of transgressed into that being full-time. It's expanded, we've grown, over 300% year over year. Um, and it's it's evolved. But I think that's the premise is that you have to be constantly open and eager to learn and fold those new experiences and knowledge in and then adapt what you do along the way. Andrea, why don't we talk about the, um, so, so we've got marketing, there's an entrepreneurial sort of like spirit understanding of business and building business um, yeah. in terms of what you've learned and then applied through the businesses that you're built in terms of pra- pragmatics, the um, behavioral science aspect of this. So what's the relationship here between what you understand with behavioral science customer understanding that actually translates to business. So so that's kind of the magic. And I think that's the thing I faced as, as a young female executive was I had these ideas. Uh, maybe I wanted to do something in marketing where we had a new initiative or program, uh, or I wanted to position something in a different way. And the first barrier was always getting buy-in, getting other people to see the idea and embrace the idea. And I found out very quickly, and and I spoke about this in in a TED talk I gave as well, that it wasn't about the data. 
it wasn't about the argument. It wasn't about having everything in place and saying, this makes so much logical sense, you can't say no. It was about these more psychology-based, which was my minor in college, barriers that, you know, these cognitive biases that really stopped people from seeing my perspective, or at least the objective I was trying to achieve. And so I kind of reverse engineered it and realized what, what are people's motivations? What baggage do they have already? What are these kind of mental shortcuts they're taking that causes them to not understand or be fearful of change? And that kind of became the foundation out of honestly personal practice in business to say this worked, this didn't work, this worked for this environment. And kind of making that into a, I don't want to say a formal methodology, but an approach where anyone can make change in their organization, but you have to consider the behaviors behind it. So in terms of, so this new book, so again, there's three books that you've written. I mean, you are a prolific writer in terms of Harvard Business Review, you know, CEO Magazine, Inc., all of those sort of, you know, very well-read um, uh, uh, uh publications, but you've actually written several books as well as your podcasting, your blogging, and all of those things. The latest book, What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But Don't Tell You. I mean, what's new? What is new to learn in marketing? I mean, haven't we sort of learned everything that there is? I'm completely kidding. What, you know, what are the new things that you're, that you are discovering that you're then applying to all of your customers? You know, to put it in a nutshell, I think the problem is, is that in marketing, we get so obsessed with ourselves. What ideas we have, what do we want to do? And if we say, no, 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 we're customer centric. We care about our customers. It's still kind of that one directional. We are going to give them this. We are going to make their lives easier. But if you don't understand the context in which their lives exist, then how can you design something that is really compelling and differentiating for them. That's genuinely for them. So the crux of the book is about a very simple methodology to change your mindset, to shift it from what you want to putting yourself in the shoes of what customers want. So a great example is you might be able to provide um, a simple way for someone to, I don't know, buy something or, you know, take care, take advantage of a service. But if their environment is different, let's say um, they're pregnant or let's say um, they're in a rush or let's say, you know, whatever that context may be. Now you go, if that's the target audience I'm pursuing, I'm going to need to redesign this considering that context. So it's really about shifting how you think about your target audience and customers and then designing an experience or a product or a service to meet those unique set of needs. So I think that that's, um, that's particularly helpful for product design, product launch, um, making sure that you've got the right product market fit. But how does the marketing come in? I mean, we are in a world where it is very crowded. It's very difficult to reach audience. And you have a particular knack for this. You've learned how to do this, you know, growing up in digital marketing, which is just an explosive um, part of the industry. How, how do you reach? I mean, what, what are sort of the secrets there in terms of reaching the audiences that you want to reach with this type of methodology? 
I, I think it goes back to three things and they're very simple. One is differentiation, two is genuineness, and three is really reaching them where they are, right? So we think, okay, marketing, the easiest thing to do is just this the spray and pray method, right? We're gonna put something out mm -hmm. on Facebook, we're gonna put something out on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, check all those boxes. And then we kind of wait. And then we go, well, maybe it's the content. Maybe that's not compelling enough. So we try something different and then we push it again. The problem is, is how are you standing out from the other people, the other companies, the other entities that are offering things similar in that category? You need to find what is your flavor that not only really stands out, but also is kind of a compelling connection to whoever you're targeting. Mm -hmm. And usually people aren't targeting a subset or, or actually a target audience, but everybody, right? They're saying, or, or, the, or their category is so broad, like uh, let's say just males. Well, that, that's just too abstract. You have to think, what do you want to dig into and really own? What sub-segment do you want to own? And then the second piece, of course, was genuine, right? You have to have a voice and a message and something that has true value to that audience rather than what you, only you want to say. It's how can you figure out what they're needing and where they're coming from and something that connects, just like making a friend, right? There's those nuances, yeah. just doing it at scale. Uh, and then thirdly, as I mentioned, it's, it's where are they? So yeah, they might be on Facebook, they might be on Instagram, but are they in small groups? Do they physically congregate other places? Do they have other networks that they're a part of? What about the industries they're in and the jobs they have or family things and family groups? So you have to really know your audience intimately to get down in the weeds with them and really connect. And Andrew, what are you thinking about just you know, how technology is changing, certainly during the course of your career and sort of, you know, building businesses and helping so many businesses, you've seen a lot of change in terms of customer understanding, a lot of change in terms of like how marketing and digital marketing, of course, is its whole, whole entity. But I was reading something recently that, you know, with chat GPT, that the work of copy editor, copywriter, content creator, you know, might become obsolete. Uh, do you think that's true? What do you think we need to pay attention to? What are your thoughts about the trends there? You know, I, I mean, I think there's there's always a percentage of casualties with any new technology. So, you know, when the telephone came about, all those telegraph operators, you know, either lost their jobs or they had to become a telephone operator or something else, right? So there is some attrition that always occurs. I think it's a question of where, and to what extent? So right now, that's the hot new sexy thing, right? Uh, when Facebook was the hot new sexy thing, when TikTok was the hot new sexy thing, it, this will come and go. It will find its niche in certain areas where you need something that's simple, logical, a quick turnaround, right? So a lot of that might be in the media space, uh, anything that's incredibly time sensitive. Uh, but even though those the outputs are, are generally well-written, I think they lack a voice, right? You think about all the authors, whether it's nonfiction or fiction that you've read, they have a voice that is very unique to them. And it's unique because of their background, their experiences, 
their lives that can't, how do you replicate that? How do you put that in a box? So I don't think it'll go away completely. It'll have its day in the sun. It'll find its function, but it's not something that, you know, we'll never have copywriters ever again. Okay. And so you're not feeling um, in any way sort of worried about the fact that you write, I don't know how much you write, but it seems like a couple articles a week or something you're putting out in addition to the books that you're authoring. Um, you, you feel like you're going to continue to do that. And you're not going to just sort of like let chat GPT take over for you. Um, you know, what I found is with writing and, and, and writing consistently is that I can tell just like if you were working out, let's say you were doing weight training, that incrementally you're getting a little better, right? And you're finding your groove. Why would I wanna give up that accomplishment? I, I think in anything else, I wanna have that satisfaction of, wow, I, I can see from a year ago to today, how much my, my writing voice has changed and how I've become a lot more succinct or you know, my vocabulary has expanded a bit. And that's just personal growth and satisfaction. So, yep. you know, even if it's like, well, we don't need you to write anymore. I can always still write for my own personal benefit. And that will help me write things in business, personal notes to, to someone who, let's say, got a job. It's a skill. And I, I still want to always develop that skill myself. Yep. Well, you also have a lot of passion for not the skills that you're developing for yourself, but also what you share with others, the program you did this weekend, the TEDx work that you do um, in your in your local area. So let's go back to you, Andrea. So some of the themes that I often hear about in inspiring women with very accomplished um, women are things like burnout. I hear about things in terms of like, you know, what were the original inspiration for you that has allowed you to carry that energy forward? So let's talk about that in particular, because it is not a joke, the number of things that you do simultaneously. I mean, I was exhausted just reading through them. So where, where does your energy come from and how have you been able to sustain it? Oh, okay. So, I mean, if, if I need, if I'm going to be fully candid, fully candid, um, there are, there are some secrets to it. So, you know, one is I, I love to sleep. I really like to sleep and boy, I, I need like eight, nine. I think sleep is restorative. So I really try to not short change myself on sleep because if you are fully charged and ready to go, you can get a lot more done in a lot less time. If you're walking around in a cloud, it doesn't matter that you're awake, right? You're not productive. I think the second thing is, is pacing. And I say this because you know, back in my youth, when I was in corporate America, I felt like there was this compelling pressure to, you need to do all these things. You need to keep up with this. There's an image you need to maintain, whatever that, that myriad of things are. And over time, I realized I was getting burnt out and I was getting stressed out and I was eating poorly and I was making bad health choices. And I asked, stopped and asked myself, well, but why are you doing that? And my answer to myself was because I, I think I, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then at that moment, it was like, but nobody said that. You were making that conscious decision to 
to put that upon yourself. There is no dictum that says you must do it this way. That's the way everyone else is doing it. And if you do want to stand out, you have to do it a different way. And that was a big pivotal point. So, you know, the laundry list of the 12 things that I do, the trick is, is that those are not all everyday things. Yeah. They are pockets of time. And so that gives me the flexibility to have only a small amount of things that are daily things. And then those other moments where let's say, you know, Harvard Business Review needs an article. That's not every day. That's not every month. And that's a nice pocket to say, okay, great. I can now focus on something different, get out of maybe a rut or a groove. And they're, they're invigorating things. And that balance and flow enables me to have a day that may on paper look like I'm accomplishing everything someone ever wanted to do. But I have the flexibility and free time because I'm controlling the schedule. I'm controlling the amount of inputs at any given time, but yet keeping the consistency. So then the business is flowing and, you know, you're growing your portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. Andrew, so, why do you think, why do you think that works for you? I mean, I mean, I mean, I would call that um, not the normal path to have the, you know, dozen or so fractional professional um, things as you do that keep you going and clearly you're able to juggle it all. Why did you choose that? I mean, you know, we're often, you know, as women growing up, we're, we're told we can have it all. Did you decide that this is how you were going to have it all just uh, how do you reflect on that well i mean i think having it all is, is kind of depending on how you define it right you know what is what ticks all those boxes for you um and what you see someone else doing that th what their all is doesn't mean that if you're not doing that you're not up to snuff it's whatever your all is should be defined by you and you should measure your own success by what keeps you happy and motivated and satisfied for me, it was variety. If mm -hmm. I'm in a role where I'm doing the same thing each and every day and I'm not consistently mentally challenged or forced to think in a different way, like some of my hobbies are a lot more physical and mechanical because I do a lot of writing. So, you know, I, I, I'll build something like I'll build a table or work on a car. I'll do something that requires a different part of my brain because I want to keep that muscle as active as possible. So as soon as I'm doing something that's a little too repetitive, I need to inject something else. And so that's what that portfolio of different things are, is that I can pull those in when I need to kind of reignite. Does it also come with a level of, I mean, to, to me, that there's a level of sort of risk tolerance that seems higher yeah. than I think I would have certainly ever felt, you know, at the earlier days um, in my career, not having something that was full-time, the one and only thing I was doing. So what is special about you um, that makes you able to tolerate that level of um, risk? I mean, it sounds exciting. sounds a little bit of like, you know, a lot of adrenaline rushes, but also <laughs> like, oh my gosh, do I oh, have, yeah. you know, all <laughs> these Oh things. yeah. There's moments of like, oh my God, everything's going to collapse. I mean, if <laughs> um, but you know what? Those those moments become fewer and far between, right? At first, they 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 come fairly frequently, 
And it's kind of like anything else. Like you have to practice stretching your risk tolerance. I don't think you should get too extreme, but anything in moderation is usually a good thing. So you have to practice kind of being cognizant and mindful of, okay, why is this bothering me? What, what is my concern? What is my, what's my backup plan, right? What, what's my, how am I going to hedge my bets here? But I'm going to keep taking risks. So you start getting a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable. Um, some of that is uh, to be candid is infrastructure. So I look at my, my bills and my overhead costs and I go, okay, my strategy there is what can I do to keep everything as low as possible? So if God forbid everything collapsed and I had to go get a job as a Starbucks barista. Could <laughs> I cover my bills for, you know, three months, 90 days, you know, yes or no. And, and so I, I look at it as I want to build an architecture in my life to advance me the freedom to have some more risks because those people that tend to grow and be successful are a little more risk tolerant. Some, some are very risk tolerant and that, that can go both ways. But that I think gives you confidence when you do take a risk and it works out, you know, even if it's not shining stars, but it's like, oh, that didn't fail. It just, com it's compounding. There's a compounding element to that that's incredibly important. Well, I think it's also um, actually quite compelling. I mean, you know, particularly for younger women, the number of choices that they have available, you know, what they value. I was just speaking to some Gen Z women, you know, mm -hmm. as they earlier started their career and what they think about in terms of what they want is more in the realm of higher risk, but more satisfaction with the impact that they're having. One more question before we close out, Andrea, um, on, you know, if you could think back, maybe maybe 10 years for when you were earlier and starting out, what, what advice would you give yourself from 10 years ago based on where you are today? Oh gosh. That's hard. I have a lot to say to myself and I would have been that angry Gen Xer that would have told myself to, you know, go, go ride a bike. Um, so that is a little double-edged sword there, but you know, I would say first and foremost, chill out, chill out. You, you are imposing these standards, requirements, goals, all the, upon yourself. Nobody's doing it. You think society's doing it. You think other people are looking, they are not, they're obsessed with themselves just as much as you are. So <laughs> don't worry about it. And if you're setting the goals, you can change the goals. You can change the goalposts. So who cares? Uh, second would be you got to have some more patience. I know you want this yesterday and you feel like now that you're 23, you're an old spinster and it's over, uh, but it's not, it really isn't. And don't you want to be like 65, 70 and be the coolest person on earth? So be patient. It's okay. And then lastly, I would say that and this is one of the things, one of the students actually, it was a Gen, Gen Z female student today was asking, what can I do to be a better leader, right? That was her concern. And she talked a little bit about her style. And she's like, I just want to make sure everybody's doing their job. And I'm, I know I'm a little overbearing and people say, you know, they, maybe they say I'm a little bitchy or maybe they say these terms that we've all heard. And I said, 
you know, here's the trick. The trick is, and this goes back to the risk tolerance and confidence, is when you empower others, like really help them do better, whoever your team is, you are seen as a leader. You are actually someone who, even though you feel like I'm not doing anything, because you got to do, right? We have to, we have to do everything. Listen, the boys don't. Okay. Tell me another executive that you see that's doing they are those boys are not doing they're just directing right and supporting i say take a page from their book right we don't have to we are never going to be able to do it all so don't try help other people do and you have a role it's just a different role that you're used to well, I think the advice for your 10-year-ago self is incredibly applicable to today as well, and certainly younger women um, as well. I love the advice of chill out. Um, it's going to be okay. So thank you so much. Andrea, as we do close out on Inspiring Women, you know, as you just think about the, all the different entrepreneurs, business people, younger women in particular who are just starting out, what is your best advice for those younger women today who aspire to be leaders of the future? Mm. Don't let them beat you down. That doesn't mean that you need to react and respond, right? And, and, and be kind of have that, that itchy trigger finger, if you will. But they, everybody is coming from a place that includes their past and, and whatever baggage comes with that. And then what they're trying to accomplish today and whoever you're talking to, they have aspirations. They want to climb the organization. They want to do this. They have kids to support, whatever. You have to understand that context. And if you don't find out the context, because there's always a reason for someone's behavior. So keep in mind that you know, knowledge is power. Well, that is great advice for so many people. I really appreciate so much, Andrea, this conversation. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation. I have been speaking with behavioral scientist, change agent, author, Andrea Belk Olson. And Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.